Well, welcome to episode three of the Vet Podcast with Brendan and Mark. Um, the date is Wednesday, 8th of November, 2017. Um, and since we're into our third pro- podcast, I think it's time we um, started promoting ourselves a, a little more. Um, we do have a website for the podcast. It, it is called vetpodcast.blueberry.net. And like a lot of um, spelling on the internet, blueberry is spelt with no E's in there. So B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. So vetpodcast.blueberry.net. Um, and you can subscribe there and look at our show notes on there. Probably the easier way to, to get in touch with us or to subscribe would be just searching for Vet Podcast on iTunes. Um, and if you do it that way, it'd be great if you could um, put a little plug in for us and just rate us. I think the iTunes rating is out of five. Obviously, we'd like highest um, if possible. So put down a five if you can. Otherwise, yeah, put down a lower number and um, we won't see you again. Um, we have a music credit this week. Um because at the end, the outro um, music is by Lee Rosevear, a Canadian artist, um, and I've chosen him, one, because I like the um, groovy music he supplies, and two, it's free, and three, um, I like his website. It's called happypuppyrecords.ca for a Canadian artist. Um, so maybe hop over there um, and have a look at his um, music if you like the outro that we have. So, Mark, um, news, what's been happening with you this week? Well, we've had a really busy week, Brendan. It's been um, unlike uh, some of our uh, colleagues south of the border who've managed to have a public holiday with the uh, race that stops the nation. Um, we've had to work through and it's been quite a busy week. Yeah, well, for those overseas subscribers, and I know we have a reasonable number of um, listeners in in the USA and even in a a few in Europe, yeah, this week it was the Melbourne Cup horse race. And um, for those of us in Victoria, which is where I am in Melbourne, um, is the capital of Victoria in Australia, um, we have a public holiday um, for it. So, um, yeah, I had a pretty relaxing day yesterday just sitting around at home. Um, It's been a little bit of time looking at the horse races not much at all um and caught up with a little bit of work so it was good but i'm excited mark i'm excited do you want to know why i'm excited i definitely want to know why you are you excited two reasons well three reasons i suppose one is doing this podcast which i'm enjoying every time we do it um the other one is i just got my medium format film camera back my yashika um so both of us are into um photography and i sent it over to the usa to have it serviced um so this is a an old style film camera called a tlr and it had uh so you put medium format film which is a much bigger film type than a traditional um 35 millimeter film that you have in there and um I sent it over to get serviced and it came back last week so I'm itching to get out there and take some photos and I love the whole retro aspect of the film camera I mean it looks amazing too so I just sit it on the um, little cupboard and and, um, while I'm watching telly I can look across and admire my um, film format camera but it's I think it's making me a better photographer because one it only takes 12 um, photos in a roll and two it costs cost me to get them developed i'm not doing developing at home myself yet but i will in the future and three um you don't get the film back for ages so it makes me sit and think gee i've only got 12 shots so um 
I look and I think and I think about the exposure and I sit there and contemplate and it's a good sort of zen sort of moment. And I think you've seen a couple of the pictures, haven't you, that I've posted? I, they're outstanding. I, I, I um, think that the the camera itself. I've seen photos of it, and um, and it really looks like a you know a piece of um, art as it uh, you know when it's not doing its proper job, and um, and and I can see the thought that's gone into those photographs. I um, particularly it strikes me because as you know I um, tend to take uh, the the majority of my photos are of uh, of birds, and that's a little bit of a um, uh, a spray and spatter type photography, um, and then I sit down with Lightroom afterwards and look for the uh, the one out of several hundred that um, has the bird in the perfect position. But um, but uh, that uh, camera you've got actually leads you in the opposite direction, um, and I can understand why you treat it as a more of a meditation. Yeah, it's um and and. and- it introduces sort of our main topic that we're going to talk about today, and that's graduation. And and um, most of this we'll be talking about applying to veterinarians, but it will also apply to veterinary technicians or nurses, um, as we call them in Australia or, or England and some of the other countries. Um, um, getting a hobby and, and, and having something that you do um, apart from your veterinary um, career. Otherwise, you go crazy um, with things. So, yeah, I think it's a good intro to our main topic. But I don't want to jump over to our main topic yet because there is one other thing I wanted to do, and that's um, introduce a, a book review, um, just a short little book review of a, a book I've almost finished. And um, it's um, a veterinary book. It's a biography or an autobiography, and it's just called The Desert Vet um, by Alex Tinson. Have you heard of this, Mark? I um, have just heard the bare basics of it. It's a really um, uh, exciting, I'm I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say about it. Yeah, well, Alex is an Australian veterinarian. I think he was born in Sydney, but he spent his uh, training or his his university days down here at Melbourne University. Um, And he had a bit of an interest in unusual pets and exotics, and he did a little bit of work for um, one of the local wildlife parks here um, not far from Melbourne that um, actually was a bit dodgy, um, which for those people overseas don't know what dodgy means, you can look that up um, and we'll get back to you next week about what dodgy means um, and um, ended up being closed down because I think um, there were several times where they had um, lions escape um, from the zoo <laughs> into the into the surrounding um, countryside. Um, so he did the vet work for there um, and he, he, long story short, he ended up um, treating some camels um, and he had an offer out of the blue from um, the Middle East um, to go over there and work with camels. So he spent most of his career over in the Middle East, and he, he's still there at the moment. Um, and I think it's he's in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and he became a camel vet, um, but he treats all sorts of exotic stuff as, as well. But um, he really revolutionised the camel racing industry over there because he was the first person to successfully um, um, develop artificial insemination in camels. So it's a really fascinating story. And for those of us in the industry, it's um, I think it's quite an inspiring story. Alex Tinson um, is his name. So you can just do a search on Amazon or the Book Depository or any of those other other sites for the desert vet and I'll, I'll put some um, links to it in the show notes as well it's a, a really um uh 
probably pertinent topic because um, Alex couldn't have predicted, like he obviously had the interest in um, unusual and exotic um, animals, but um, to, you would never be able to predict the trajectory of his career at the time of graduation. He, he uh, uh, wouldn't have been able to predict where he's ended up. And, and I think that's one of the things about uh, the time of graduation, that um, it's characterised by all this new stuff and not knowing where you're going to go. Yeah, and I've, I, I was fortunate enough to meet Alex early on bef- um, in his career when he he came back from the um, UAE to visit Australia and, and another wildlife park, and um, um, yeah, he sort of fell into the um, fell into that sort of um, um, niche within the veterinary um, community, and I think that's what happens with a lot of us, um, you know. Um, and we may talk a little bit about how we got to where we are with our, our careers as well. Um, now that we get on to the main topic for the day, you know, um, or the night or, or the morning, depending on when you're listening to this in your car or going for a jog or going for a hike, and that's graduation. And here in Australia, um, the veterinary school um, terms and year has just about finished. Um, so the um, seven veterinary schools will be graduating their their new crop of the veterinarians um, and same story with the veterinary nurses or the veterinary technicians. So they'll all be um, out there into the wide world um, shortly in the next few weeks. Um, so that's why we have this topic um, today. And I know for those those in, in, in other areas in the world, it will be at a different time of the year, but everything we're going to talk about um, for new graduates with, with vets and the vet technicians and nurses, I think will apply to everybody else um, in those countries as well. So I think the first thing we need to chat about, Mark, is, you know, um, the actual job application. Um, what what do you think we need to um, advise the young graduates about? How to you know what to go where to go to you know how to approach um, applying for a job um, and all the factors associated with that. Well, I think the uh, the I wanted to say that this is a particularly. Uh, um, uh, important topic for me at the moment because we've we're going through this precise process uh having um uh, gone through nearly 13 interviews over the last couple of months and uh spoken to a large number of um uh recent and uh prospective graduates and uh and so it's a, a particularly uh, topical thing for uh, from my point of view and uh, and I suppose um when we were initially you know, advertising for a, a new staff member, a new veterinarian. We were um, interested to find out where we should place um, our advertisements, and those those locations have changed particularly dramatically over the last few years. And so, um, we do try and get across a large number of um, uh, Facebook sites, and sometimes it uh, is important for students to, um, as they approach graduation, to go searching through those. Uh, possibly the veterinary practices that they're aware of, look at the Facebook and website um, so that they can get a feel for whether the, there's uh, the prospect of employment in maybe one of their favourite uh, practices. Um, in addition, I think uh, we've found that um, the universities themselves are very good at uh, posting up uh, lists of um, prospective employees um, and uh, they run a, a network that um, graduates can 
uh, search through and look at the practices. And often those practices are involved in externship, extramural Pro, uh, programs and so uh, some students, some fellow students, might well have a bit of an idea about uh, the sort of practices that they 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 should look at. And I think that's really important research for um, graduates to do to um, to have a look at the the uh, the website to um, talk to people that have visited the practice um, to get a feel for the circumstance. Maybe talk to um, some recent graduates of, who have worked there to get a feel for the culture of the place because all these things are critically important for uh, for the first job. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember in our days the, the only place that you looked for um, employment prospects were the Australian Veterinary Journal. So it was a print um, journal that would come up come out um, once a month and you'd you'd wait for that in in your post box um, or your or, or your um, front door and once you once you get that um, you'd be rifling through it and trying to um, apply online line and and or even write letters in those days <laughs> I think that's how old we are mark um, but yeah there's lots of Facebook sites now um, that um, for in, in employee employees and employers, um, search through them. Um, the grapevine's really important, so um, keeping in touch with graduates the year above you or the year above that, and you'll soon get a feel for which clinics you should or shouldn't go to because um, um, certain clinics will have a bad name, certain clinics um, will have a better name um, and you, you get a feel for it quite quickly, I think, um, knowing which, which places you shouldn't apply for and which you should apply for, especially the ones that have a really big turnover of vets and nurses or technicians. You start thinking, gee, why have they got such a big turnover? Um, maybe we shouldn't think about going there. So I think part of the process of, of searching for a job is, is not thinking about it just as the fact of, 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 hey, I'm going to turn up to this practice and have an interview. Um, you need to interview the practice as well. So there's not much point going into practice, especially your first practice, when um, you're not looked after in that practice. Um, and I usually say to students um, and new graduates that probably the most important bit of advice that potentially... I could give them and hopefully they may listen to me would be um, make sure you get into a practice where the boss um, will look after you. Um, forget about the fact whether or not it has a CT scan or an MRI scanner or the latest gadgets in that practice. It doesn't matter if it's an outback or, or a bush practice where they don't even have a radiographic uh, radiograph machine, uh, radiology department or, 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 or an ultrasound or or hopefully they've got an anaesthetic machine. Um, and hopefully they've, they've moved on from ether um, as far as the um, anaesthetic that they use. Um, because if you're not looked after in that first six, 12 months or, or, or first couple of years, um, it, it'll be a disaster. Um, it's hard enough being a vet with the stresses that we have um, day to day without having a boss that can look after you. And when you kill that first desexing um, and it will happen um, an animal will die under an anaesthetic unexpectedly um, you've got to start thinking about what am I going to do when that happens you know will my boss back me up and and and, and look after me and, and have a um, have a 
cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me or a beer with me or whatever and and and, and talk about the um the the fact that things sometimes go wrong no matter what happens um rather than gee i want to get into that practice that has a ct scanner um because it's got all whiz band if um gadgets in there um, and you'll soon outgrow the practice anyway if it's a practice that that hasn't kept up with the times um, and that's fine um, you'll move on to another practice but if that boss looked after you um, for that first six 12 months that you were there uh, and looked after your mental health and your well-being then fantastic you know um, you'll soon out work out that hey maybe my my veterinary career um is going to end up somewhere else but you need that shoulder to cry on you need somebody to look after you when things go wrong and you need somebody to celebrate the successes as well any comments on that mate no i, I agree entirely brendan we've sort of um in uh, our practice built the the concept of um a bird's nest we know that um uh, our employees are all going to um, grow and flourish hopefully in the environment we create in the culture we create we know that um, they're talented people and so um, uh, suburban practice is always they're going to reach a limit in suburban practice where they um, want to move on and they want to do greater things we understand that but we like the idea that um while they're fledging um we can uh, uh be as supportive and create an environment where um they can get to learn to use their wings um, and then they can take flight and uh, move on to those places that might have um different sets of resources and different opportunities for them to achieve later in their career but you're so right that i i think those um those uh those first uh, uh, year or two out, they can set the scene. There, there's always going to be um, some resilient students who come out and get into a, a less than favourable spot and still thrive. But I think on the whole, uh, everyone does themselves a service by getting into a place where they're going to um, be supported, um, where, as we know, inevitably things are going to go wrong, um, a client's going to be upset, an animal's going to unexpectedly pass away. Um, if you have those uh, moments and and we're all vulnerable, even those of us that have been doing it for years, and you're not in an environment that's supportive and and, uh, and helps you through, then it, it makes it much more difficult and sets you much further back, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing that follows on from that is we now have the programs like the mentoring program and the Australian Veterinary Association has the graduate mentoring program, uh, which I've been involved with. And you have also, Mark, um, in the last few years where um, they match new graduates with with a mentor, typically um, in a region or a um, or an area of expertise um, that the new graduate's interested in. Uh, and my... I've just been matched with a new new mentee for next year. Um, the the one I had this year, um, she went into small animal practice um, in the city that I'm in, and we met um, 
to have a bit of a chat about things before she went for her job interviews and and I think it works well these these mentoring programs because there's there's give and take um you um some some mentors and mentee, some mentees want to call you all the time or email you all the time and that's fine others um a bit more reserved and they just contact you when they that they've run into a sticky situation or trouble but and I'm sure most of the places, um, most of the countries now have um, variations on these mentoring um, systems in place now for veterinary graduates, and I think it's fantastic. Gee, I wish I had had it when I first graduated and and, and went into practice because um, I think you're sort of dumped into the deep end at that stage, and I was lucky enough that I had a very understanding boss um, who um, – looked after me well for those first couple of years that I worked in um, small animal practice before I started doing um, my exotic work and, and zoo veterinarian work. So I think the next thing we need to talk about is, I mean, most of these graduates or, or about to graduate veterinarians, they, they have a pretty good idea on what sort of practice they want to do, whether they want to do large animal, equine practice, small animal, um, maybe um, um, exotics like we do. Um, uh, so then my comment would be, hey, you may not get into that particular area um, first up and it might take you several years in order to get into the particular niche um, area of the veterinary um, industry that you want to work in. So hang in there, don't give up. Um, it's a slow process sometimes um, and you may have to take a position in a general practice, a mixed practice or a small animal practice that um, you may not have considered Considered it as being ideal, but I think if, if it's great that people go into um, a mixed practice or a, or a general practice first up, because they're learning all those general skills of dealing with different types of clients, um, large animal clients. Um, you might be doing um, home calls or, or farm calls, and you're getting to see um, animals on properties and dealing with the characters that we have with the farmers, etc. Um, and you may be dealing with also those those city slickers and, and people who own some of these um, very demanding um, clients um, that you see who have these pets that they'll spend lots of money or maybe no money at all. And um, the bad news is, part of being a veterinarian, regardless of a lot of vets, I think, who went into veterinary science thinking that, hey, I want to do vet because uh, I don't want to do um, human medical field because um, I don't like dealing with humans. But the bad news is you will need to deal with humans. So interpersonal skills are really important. And I think part of dealing with that is um, watching the other vets in your practice um, and seeing seeing how they deal with clients um, in particular situations. Obviously, the stressful situations are the ones where it can be a lot dif more difficult to deal with, like euthanasias, etc. Um, but dealing with that difficult or that grumpy client or that client who doesn't want to spend any money and you're trying to sort of explain to them why we need to do some blood tests or radiographs, etc. Um, and unfortunately, that's still a lot of the skills that are not taught in the veterinary schools um, worldwide um, and you'll have to learn those on the job basically um, I think um, but I'm jumping ahead of myself here I think we should be talking about the interview process um, so Mark do you want to talk about what what you suggest I mean you've interviewed by the sound of it a lot of vets over the last um, few weeks or months um, for 
position that's available at your practice, what sort of things do you look for? What impresses you um, when you talk to a, a potential candidate for a, um, a new graduate that comes to your practice for an interview? Well, there's a couple of things that really stand out to us. The the um the first one is that uh, is that they come prepared, that they've done a little bit of research about our practice, that they um, have a bit of an idea of the the um the sort of work that we're likely to be doing that uh, that they've checked it checked us out on Facebook, had a look at our uh, um, our web page, um, that they uh, understand the the uh, type of work that we're likely to be doing. If they've done that research and shown that interest to that extent, um, then that's a great starting point for us. Um, the next thing that uh, you know, probably one of the things that I think um, as an employer that uh, we look for, and I think it's a bit of a general thing, is that um, we're always looking for um, for people with the right attitude. I think the um, we're pretty confident that our universities are uh, teaching students most of the facts they need to know, most of the the knowledge uh, base um, to graduate, um, and so it's um, there's a lot of um, how that knowledge is brought into a practice, and the way that uh, that someone is going to get on with the the uh, um, other staff members, how they're going to treat the support staff, how they're going to interact with um, management, how they're going to react to um, the clients. You mentioned it before, those interpersonal skills um, are um, just critical to have to start with, but they're also really important to cultivate. Um, and someone that has the right attitude, um, we can teach them just about everything else. But um, but approaching things with a constructive and uh, um, uh, a sense of um, plan and looking to the future and understanding the roles that everyone's going to play to be supportive of them, I think they're outstanding things to uh, for um, people to demonstrate at an interview. Yeah, I think I, I think the other thing that uh, um, we look for is that. Um, it, you mentioned it before when we were talking about photography that um, uh, once students have been through the rigours of an uh, extended um, bachelor's degree and, and uh, they finally get to that point where they're out actually doing the job they've trained to do, it can be, it's very easy to become a little bit obsessed with it and, uh, and let it take up all your time. And particularly in the circumstance where um, as a new graduate, you might be moving to a new, um, you know, a new town, a, a new part of the world. Um, it's easy to be a little bit isolated socially. And so uh, work can become your whole world. And so um, just, uh, um, seeing that someone has that uh, starting balance in their life, they may have a, um, a sport or a, um, a hobby that they're um, they're passionate about that they could pursue that would provide balance for the the um, the long hours that they will spend at work. Um, I think that's a um, another thing that we look for. Yes, um, and I, and I I sometimes hear people saying. If you don't end up in general practice or, or practicing as a vet, um, then you've failed. And I disagree with that totally because um, the veterinary 
science degree, I think, teaches you a lot of skills. And if you don't end up working as a vet, then you haven't failed. Um, the university vet schools may consider that, I suppose. I think some of them um, view it as a failure. Maybe they don't. But um, I think people end up sort of in the area that, they, that they're that they good at naturally. They sort of um, slowly, slowly work towards the area within their industry that, that, that they have skills with. And if you like pathology or you didn't realise you like pathology and, and you end up being a pathologist and you like looking down the microscope all day, then good on you. You know, I mean, you haven't failed if you went straight into pathology. I, I, you got any comments on that? <laughs> yes, I was just going to – you just slipped out for a second there. The, the uh, Zencast has been so good um, that, um, that it's always – uh, it's just been a little bit of a surprise a couple of times tonight to lose track of your voice. But I was going to say that um, that uh, what you say about um, the degree, I've always maintained that the veterinary degree is um, uh, teaches a whole lot of uh, facts, is vocationally focused. But the biggest gift it gives to us as graduates is that it teaches us outstanding problem-solving skills um, in a sort of science-focused background. And as you said, that uh, you can apply that, um, you know, through a, a wide range of um, occupations within the animal healthcare industry, but it's not even restricted to that. And um, I know several uh, of the of my cohort um, who've um, uh, gone through, worked in private practice for a while, had some time off, and have returned to uh, other professions, teaching or um, a number of other um, areas completely outside. Uh, veterinary science, but they've taken those uh, um, interpersonal skills that they learnt in the consult room. They've taken those uh, problem-solving skills that uh, that we learn and applied them to the new position and um, and turned it into a success. So I agree with you entirely. I think um, uh, graduating is an achievement and success on its own, and what you do with that. Uh, that degree once you've got it, um, there's uh, there's no limit, and certainly um, though it's a vocational degree, don't uh, I don't want anyone to ever feel constrained by um, the the expectations that you've done a vet degree, therefore you will only work in small animal practice. Yes, um, um, yeah. I, I, for, for our listeners, I think the good news is that the um, audio hopefully won't be dropping out because um, it records <laughs> separate tra tracks locally. And, uh, yeah, you've been um, breaking up a little bit as well, Mark, So on my side, but um, I'm sure when it's all put together it will be um, fine for our listeners. Yeah, get, so getting back to the interview, I mean, that, um, you had some great um, tips and um, thoughts about um, when you're interviewing um, um potential candidates for, for um, positions at your practice and uh, I suppose one of the secrets I can give away with um, when I'm interviewing um, vet technicians or nurses as well as veterinarians um, in my practice is um, when they come in for the in interview they, they um, sit in the waiting room at my clinic and I don't come out and see them for 10 minutes. Um, I'm not deliberately trying to make them sweat um, but they'll sit there and the nurse who's on reception um, will have a good chat to them for five or ten minutes um, to get a bit of a feel for the vet or the, or the veterinary technician slash nurse. Um, 
and then the my my nurse will my receptionist nurse will come out the back and um, have a little chat to me and say, "Okay, Brendan, um, there, you know, um, Mark is in the waiting room, ready for his interview." Um, and occasionally, I've had the nurse um, come out to me and say, "Do not employ that person," um, <laughs> before I've gone out to the front, and um, uh, and and it's I think it's. Um, a good little um, cheap method of trying to work out whether or not the um, nurse or the um, vet will fit in with your practice because if that vet or that nurse will not get on well with our, um, our staff, our nursing staff, then there's no way I would employ that person. Um, and same story with the vets as well. So um, they need to fit in with the style of our practice, um, not that um, you know, not that they won't fit in with, with, with another practice if they didn't fit in with my practice, but um, the interview probably would still continue, but um, the chances are that there's no way I'd employ that person if they didn't get on with the staff. Um, and then I'd do a similar thing with potentially the clients um, because I'd probably have that vet in for one or two sessions when... Um, when when they're on the shortlist, um, same with the nurses. I'm, I've just employed another part time nurse, and we did the same process with her. Um, she working part time in another clinic, <coughs> excuse me, and now now um, um, managed to find a job with my clinic. Um, and we had her working for a few shifts um, um, and watching her interact with the clients. Um, do the clients um, gel with her? Does she seem to be able to understand? Um, the clients and, and does she like the animals that are presented to her? Um, and if any of that's a no, then the chances are I'm not going to employ them regardless what the resume says um, with them. Actually, I'll tell you a story about my – have I told you the story about the first job I ever had, Mark? I don't think you have, Brendan. The first job you ever had, where was that? Well, my first vet- veterinary job um, and that was – in a dog and cat practice, a small animal practice um, here in Melbourne. Um, after I graduated, I took some time off and spent about three months and um, just drove up north to the north of Australia with my then girlfriend, um, who was a, another vet from my year, or a new graduate from my year, which um, which um, we ended up breaking up and I ended up um, marrying my love, lovely wife, Annie. Um, I haven't seen my ex-girlfriend for a while, but she's a lovely person as well. We just didn't get on in the end, but that's another story. <laughs> so, so my first interview was um, when, I, when I got back from my um, my three-month holiday, um, I thought, well, I better get a job now. Um, and I looked in the journal that came out once a month and I page through it and I saw this ad for a, a practice that wasn't far from home and at that stage I was still living with my parents and I thought oh it's only about half an hour drive from home so um, I may as well apply for this job and the thing that I liked about the job is it said one day off a fortnight every every second Wednesday um, I had a day off and for those days it was amazing to have a you know one day off a fortnight um, and you'd remember the, the bad old days when you were on call every second night um, it was a two-person practice it was me on call one night and the boss on call the next night and we alternated weekends on call as well um, but I liked the idea of this job because it had one Wednesday off every fortnight um, which incidentally ended up being the day that I would go up and do some 
treatment at a wildlife park and it's the whole process of how I started getting into unusual pets and eventually becoming a zoo vet. Um, but getting back to the story, um, my interview was I arrived at the practice at my set interview time um, and my then-to-be boss um, said, let's walk across to the pub um, or the hotel um, and that was direct, diagonally across the road from the clinic. So that was another plus for me. Um, there was a pub across the road. Um, he took me to the pub for lunch and I dressed up in, I think I even had a, a tie and collar, um, which for me, as you know, is pretty unusual, um, and had my resume in my hand um, and we went to the pub and we had a few beers and um, a pub lunch um, and walking back to the clinic I thought oh no he's going to interview me now um and he had um and halfway across the road back to the clinic he said so do you want the job um and that was my first interview and he hadn't even opened my resume um so I think it, it's an extreme um because he didn't look at my resume thank god um <laughs> because he looked at um, the way I spoke to him, the way I dealt with um, maybe buying him a drink or two um, and my interpersonal skills were much more high on the list um, of importance for him with uh, uh, um, employing a graduate. And I'm sort of sim similar in that when I look at um, the vets that come in, yes, I look at their resumes and I'm sure virtually all the vets that have gone through um, vet school um, as part of the process nearing the end of their um veterinary degree they will <coughs> excuse me they will be getting um some advice on how to write resumes um and they will type up a really nice resume um but you know to me um you're a veterinarian you've graduated hopefully um and i'm not particularly that interested in whether you um had 95 percent on all your subjects or whether you're only scraped through with your subjects because I've seen veterinarians who who were top of the class who were poor diagnosticians and 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 weren't very good in the um, world of of, of um, dealing with clients and, and vice versa I've seen some who have only just scraped through who have made uh, ended up being fantastic veterinarians and and, and even world leaders um, yeah so you know I don't put a lot of interest in the um, resume um, I will look at the resume but I'll spend much more time looking at the person and not the resume. One of the other things I think that's important to uh, to just draw people's attention to as well is um, what I call the Italian leather shoe analogy, um, that um, I worry that a lot of new graduates will feel, I mean, interviews are situations where you are being judged and um, and the the implication is that if you don't get the job that uh, that you're not up to scratch or whatever um, and I would just emphasize that it's that's not the case that um, that it is a lot about the fit that um, uh, and if you have I, the reason I mention Italian leather shoes is that um, they can be of the highest quality leather they can be outstandingly stitched and put together and um, if they're the wrong size if they don't fit they're still going to give you blisters and um, and it's a little bit the same in in these uh, 
employed positions that um, if it's not the right fit, if you're not the person for the culture of that practice, you can still be a, a, uh, um, a an excellent veterinarian and and there will be a place for you somewhere else. But um, it's not a an absolute judgment on your um, you know value that you don't fit at that place. Yeah, exactly. And and the, what that reminded me of is is particular niches within the veterinary profession and, and Mike the example that sprung to mind with that is emergency veterinarians so vets who work in the emergency industry and do after hours work and work at these 24-hour emergency clinics and they love that um, adrenaline rush and, and and the emergencies pour in through the door um, it's not me I, I don't think I'd be able to cope with that long term short term I might do it for a day or two but as a career I just could not cope with that but the, the, the people who end up doing that as a career, they thrive on it and they, they do a fantastic job. So it's it's horses for courses. Everybody has their own little personalities and certain clinics have a, a particular vibe. I mean, our clinic tends to be, I suppose, a little bit more chilled and relaxed um, than some of the other clinics and, and we tend to, tend to just potter around and, and have a bit of a laugh and um try and um, not be too serious about things but sometimes that can be um, um, a bit too relaxed with things um, and, and we might have a, a vet who who wants to be running hard all day every day and, and they wouldn't fit with our practice and I'm sure that they'd find another practice that they that they fit with but I think hopefully what we're getting across here is that um, when you go for that job, and same story applies for vet, veterinary nurses or veterinary um, technicians, is that um, try and get a feel for the places. Yeah, look up their websites, as Mark has already said. Maybe visit them, have a chat to them. Maybe do an, a, an anonymous um, drop-in at the clinic before you've even um, let yourself be known that um, you're applying for the job and, and get a feel for it. It's exactly what I tell clients when they ask for a recommendation for where can I take my rabbit to be boarded or where can I um, leave my dog um, while I go on holidays? You know, is there a boarding kennel or a cattery I can leave my cat at? And I don't recommend one particular cattery or, or kennel to take their dog or their cat to. Um, I suggest to them, look, go to a few of them, um, look at them, talk to the owners there. If you don't like the feel of it, the vibe of the place, don't go there. And I think it's exactly the same with, with employment and, and, and jobs. Uh, I'm sure some of you would be screaming out, hey, uh, the difficulty there is that there may not be many jobs around, um, so I have to take what I can get. Um, I suppose there's two ways of looking at that, but... Um, um, what's your thoughts on that, Mark? If 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 we're in a in an area where where a vet vet um, new graduate might say, "Oh, look, there's only one job I can apply for, and and I don't like the feel of the practice. Um, what do I do?" Well, I think that um, that probably was a um, a true circumstance. Maybe two or three years ago, there was um, uh, a uh, you know a a, a large number of graduates a fewer number of positions to fill and uh and people might have felt pressed into taking positions that they uh they might not have felt completely comfortable with i think the the uh market uh, the job market in the veterinary profession has changed somewhat and I think there are a, a, a larger number of positions for people to choose from um, and so I think it is a good thing for them to exercise that choice. 
One of the other things I meant to mention before that uh, we were talking about the sort of topics, the questions that are asked, the things that we look for in people who uh, show up for an interview, whether it be a, a veterinarian or a veterinary support person, um, is an understanding of money. That, um, that one of the things I think that... Uh, that doesn't really cross the, even though they go to extramural practice, um, a lot of new graduates won't have had the harsh reality of finances abruptly f shoved in their face too many times during their undergraduate career. And, uh, and that can be a real, um, a real shock and, and uh, can sometimes be a, um, uh, a real stress for the, the, uh, the first year that you're out. And so, um, I'm always looking for, um, job applicants who have an understanding that uh, that those finances play an important role in um, uh, veterinary practice, and and that uh, they can understand that um, uh, that they've got to listen to the clients, and sometimes the clients are going to decline their recommendations for extensive workup, and um, and they've got to be able to deal with that. So that's an important thing um, when discussing. A potential position to make it clear that um, the the importance of business truths uh, is something that you're aware of. I reckon. Yeah, I think that's a lot of that. Potentially, is a skill that you can teach them or that you can learn, but they need to um, understand that it is a business, and you are trying to make some money and potentially pay off a mortgage and, and feed the kids and put them through um, schooling and university, etc. So um, we do need to charge for our um, time and fees. And, and vets are notorious for not be, not charging um, enough um, as, as an industry and it's got us into a lot of trouble, um, whereas a lot of the other professions have realised long ago that, hey, we should be charging um, adequately for our service and, and they have done so. Um, so it's, I still think it's something we need to catch up with and it's probably another potential one. A potential topic um, for a future podcast about charging, etc. And it's not not a matter of overcharging, that's for sure. It's a matter of doing the right thing for the animal and and, and teaching new graduates um, um, the whole process of, of what's important, what what tests need to be run, what money do we need to spend with this animal in order to provide um, a diagnosis and provide quality of life for it, um, and. Um, um, and, and otherwise you've got your hands tied behind your back and you're making guesses. Um, so, yeah, it is another thing we need to need to teach them. Um, but that's all part of the process, I think, of um, if you've applied for that um, position that you like the sound of that particular clinic um, and you're lucky enough to get that job, then away you go. And just make sure that and Mark's already mentioned that when you do get that first position, you tend to get very excited and you spend all your time thinking about vet, vet, vet. Um, um, make sure you do have your hobby, whether it's photography or, or, or spending time surfing or down the beach or, or with the dogs at home. Um, um, and if you struggle to take time off from work, you need to timetable it. You need to say, okay, I'm spending an hour tonight not doing any vet work um, and you actually put it in your calendar and that's how it works for some people. It's so important to do it um, and, you know, we harp on about mental health um, in the last couple of 
podcasts and we'll probably talk a little bit about that more detail in the in a future podcast where we can have that as a main topic but it's so important to get that life balance going mark um any other sort of comments before we um wrap up for this evening or this morning or this afternoon The last one I was going to mention was that in that work-life balance sort of framework and uh, speaking about the the, um, the mentoring programs that we've been involved in, I think uh, maintaining a, um, a network of contacts, whether it be um, a mentor, whether it be, um, I know the, the uh, um, social groups on Facebook, the year groups, um, just making sure that those contacts with, uh, with your cohort are maintained, um, that framework, that um, scaffolding around your life, the network of people who may not necessarily be at work but um, will realise the things that you're going through there are important counterpoint too and so I think it's really valuable for new graduates to have a, a conscious focus on cultivating that uh, that network of support around them that's not just at the practice they're working at. Definitely. Um, if there's any of our subscribers who want to get in touch with us, um, um, easiest is via the the website vetpodcast.blueberry.net, or you can email us directly on vettalkpodcast at gmail dot com, vettalkpodcast at gmail dot com, or one word at gmail dot com. Um, and I think we're almost up to the uh, fifty minute mark, so we've done it again, Mark. We've gone over our allocated time that we've. Um, um, I think we wanted to have the podcast around about half an hour, but they seem to be consistently around 40 to 50 minutes. So I think we'll end up doing that forever. We like to talk, don't we, when we, when we get together. And this is part of our debrief and our sort of um, getting all the stresses of the day um, away from us by having a chat about, um, even though they're vetty things, um, um, it's sort of our method of um, relaxing a tad, isn't it, Um especially if you've had a day off um, or two days off. I've had two days off in a row and it's, um, <laughs> I don't want to go back to work. So thank you all for listening. Please recommend us to um, um, your friends and like us on um, our Facebook site as well. We have a Facebook site as well. Um, and um, subscribe on iTunes or via our um, website. And we look forward to hearing from you again. Hopefully within the next few days, we aim to have a podcast every week. Um, and looks like our outro mu- music has kicked in, which is Lee Rose Veer, the Canadian artist, happypuppyrecords.ca. We'll talk to you next time.